Hello and welcome back to PTC's top 10 right now. We are moving on to second base. Covered first and third earlier this week. And now going to the Keystone second base with shortstop coming up next time. But yeah, second base, interesting position. It hasn't seen quite the offensive um, explosion that shortstop has seen over the past decade or so. But still plenty of... Good offensive talents led, of course, by Jose Altuve. Lots of young, up-and-coming guys. Andres Jimenez, Brendan Donovan, Rookie of the Year finalist, Brandon Lau, even that kind of group. Uh, and then, of course, what to do with Jazz Chisholm. Reportedly moving to center field because of the uh, Luis Arise trade. So we will get into all of that when we talk about the top 10 second basements right now. So without further ado, let's get into it. So this second base list, Johnny, for me, was by far the most frustrating to make. And the reason that I say that is because there is so many differing profiles that kind of counteract one another. And I'll kind of, I'm sure, get into some of those statistics. But, you know, it felt like, well, if one guy, you know, had a better strikeout and walk rate, he didn't hit the ball hard and didn't have the greatest results. But the next guy after him, you know, couldn't touch the ball to save his life. But when he does, he absolutely obliterates it. And and somehow or another, he has really good stats to back it up. And it was just so difficult. And I think the thing that made it the most difficult for me, Johnny, was the amount of flux when it came to playing time for some of these guys. You know, you have Marcus Simeon who over the last two years has 1,400 plate appearances, to a guy like Jeff McNeil, who has 1,000. And then you're looking at a guy like Andres Jimenez, who has 700. Brendan Donovan had 400. You know, Colton Wong had 900. It just was so all over the place, and there were so many different things. And it's tough to va- to value the plate appearances thing because there's so much more that goes into it than just, well, this guy played more games, so he's more durable. Because there's rookies here too, so... That made it really difficult for me. Definitely, yeah. The volume component really played a huge part for me. As you said, I don't want to just make it like, oh, if you played, then you're in. But it's also, you know, really important to have a strong data set. You know, you don't want to judge a guy who had, you know, the same rate stats over 200 plate appearances versus a guy who had those rate stats over 800 plate appearances because, you know, we don't know if that guy can sustain it for as long. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm fairly happy with my list. I don't think it came out too badly. Um, There wasn't too much angst on my part about anybody missing the list or making the list or being too high or too low. This was the most or second most defensive weighted position, I think, so far. Uh, I have it as 2.5 to 1 offense to defense. Um, I think maybe I did 2 to 1 in center field. But yeah, I you'll see this is a kind of sneak preview for next episode. I did three to one for shortstops. And that's mostly just because there's a lot more good offensive shortstops um, compared to good offensive second baseman. That was my reasoning behind that. So one thing we do want to preface beforehand here 
is the whole Jazz Chisholm situation. Johnny kind of alluded to him earlier. You know, he's switching to center field. And while we haven't done this for list in the past, example, Luis Arise, we are going to do it for this list because we were given enough time in advance to kind of kick him off our consideration here. But with that being said, Chisholm was initially considered. And MLB Network doesn't reflect him as a top 10 second baseman, which leads us to believe that they didn't consider him when it came down to actually releasing their list. So we, Johnny and I, are going to be telling you where we would have had him had he stayed at second base, but we're still going to release a top 10 that doesn't include him. So just in case you're looking out for Jazz Chisholm, that's what we're going to go ahead and do here. So with that said, Johnny, let's get your top 10 right now. All right. Here it comes. So, yeah, as you said, Chisholm certainly would have been on this list somewhere. MLB's track record notwithstanding, I think the fact that they didn't have them have him on there means that they didn't consider him, as you said. So I had him at number eight, uh, which might sound a little low, but I don't know. We might, might talk about that later if we want to. But I had him at number eight, and so taking him out of the list bumps my number 11 up to 10, and the beneficiary of that is none other than the San Diego Padres' Ha-Sung Kim, a defensive first second baseman who came over from Korea uh, prior to the 2021 season. He was pretty terrible with the bat in 2021, but this past year he really made some strides, was an above-average offensive player, and he is the third-best defensive second baseman in the list here. So that definitely played a big role in giving him enough value to sneak into that number 10 spot. All right, at number nine from the New York Yankees, Glaber Torres. In my opinion, somewhat underrated now because he had that big 2019, hasn't really matched those production levels. Yankees fans are all wanting to trade him, uh, but he's still a very productive major league player. Really middle of the road on offense and defense. His defense took a big, big step forward once the Yankees um, stopped trying to play him at shortstop all the time. And he's still going to hit you some home runs, get on base at a decent clip, and just generally be a solid offensive player. All right, coming in at number eight. And this one did surprise me a little bit, but once I looked at his numbers and especially his games played, I wasn't too surprised. And that's Cattell Marte of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Another guy who had a couple monster years in 2019, 2020, but the last few years he just hasn't really been able to stay on the field. He's been productive, but not outstanding. Um, And so you combine that with the fact that he hasn't matched the uh, volume that some of these other guys have had. Yeah, that's where you get number eight for Marte. At number seven, and so that's this is where Chisholm would have been between Marte and this next player. At number seven, I have Brandon Lau of the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, signed an extension a couple of years back, and he is a top three offensive second baseman here. Uh, it's just his defense that is holding him back. Came in third to last in my sample here. Yeah, really interesting profile. Just kind of a stereotypical Rays player. He's going to strike out a bunch. He's going to take his walks, though, and he's going to get hit home runs. Really a three true outcomes sort of guy. And it works for him. You know, he's been running high slugging percentages high on base percentages, and that's formula for success, even with all those strikeouts. At number six, the rookie, Brendan Donovan, finished third in Rookie of the Year voting. Very solid offensive and defensive second baseman. 
the only thing holding him back here really is just that uh, he has a limited sample of work, body of work, uh, of course, since that he just made his debut this year. But uh, if he maintains that level of play, he can certainly jump up a couple spots next year. At number five, definitely an underrated player around the league, in my opinion, Jorge Polanco of the Minnesota Twins, another guy who is really a second baseman, but the Twins had been playing him at shortstop for a while. And of course, now with Correa, he is free to move back across the bag to the second base side. A really, really good offensive player. He actually came in second offensively. And I don't think a lot of fans have really been familiar with his game over the last few years because he's put up some really, really nice batting lines and has a good profile to go along with it. So that's Jorge Polanco at number five. At number four, real breakout star of last year from the Cleveland Guardians, Andres Jimenez. More of an average to above average hitter. Uh, Of course, had the really good year last year, but stellar, stellar defender comes in second here in defense. And of course, with second base being up the middle position, that helps him out a lot here. Uh, So he comes in at number four. We'll be looking to see if he can replicate his production, sustain that breakout into next year. Of course, he was a part of the return for Francisco Lindor. So Cleveland front office really hoping for that breakout to continue. At number three, he just signed an extension last night with the New York Mets, and that would be reigning batting champion Jeff McNeil, the flying squirrel. Uh, Just a very, very good all-around player. He's going to hit for average, of course, and he's going to play solid defense at second base. It looks like the Mets will be able to stick with him at second base now that they've reinforced their outfield again, re-signing Nimmo, and they got Marte. But yeah, McNeil just, I mean, we'll get into his specific stats later, but as I said, really good all-around player, just a hard-nosed kind of ball player type, you know. All right, at number two, Marcus Semien of the Texas Rangers. He's just been a really consistent offensive force these last few years. A bit of a down year this year compared to 2021, but still just posts up every day. And just purely by being out on the field so much, he accumulates so much value just from being, you know, above average for so, so such a long period of time. He really does a lot to help his team win. Uh, And he should be surrounded by a much better lineup this coming year in Texas. And of course, that means that number one, and it wasn't really much of a race, Jose Altuve of the Houston Astros. We thought he might be kind of reaching his decline a few years ago, had a down 2020, but the last two years he has been Altuve of old, coming back with a vengeance, and um, he was by far the best offensive player in this sample. Not that great on defense anymore, but um, that's okay. When you hit as well as he does, he comes in at number one by a long shot. So I'll be interested to see if you agree with that. I think you will. But let's hear your list, Logan. Alrighty. So, yeah, uh, I, I think our lists are somewhat close. You know, well, well the, the bottom half is a little bit different, but once we get to the topper half here, it's somewhat similar. So let me just get into it. And at number 10, definitely a guy that I was surprised ended up at number 10 for me. But the more and more I look at it, the more and more I like him. And that is Brandon Drury, the Los Angeles Angels' new second baseman. Love him. Uh, I think he 
Last year is very repeatable. There's a lot to like about him, and we'll, I'm sure, get into that. Uh, coming in at number nine for me is Nico Horner, the second baseman over in Chicago. Definitely surprised you didn't have him on your list, but I, I'm sure you have your reasons, no doubt. And then coming in at number eight is also the guy you had number eight, and that is Cattell Marte. You know, like you said, he was a beast, taking a backseat to a lot of the the newer age second baseman, but for the most part, he's still producing over there in Arizona. There's still a lot to like, though the defense does leave a lot to be desired. Coming in at number seven for me, he was your number six. I have Brennan Donovan, the rookie, over in St. Louis. Like you said, there's just so much to like about Donovan, and you wish he had a little bit more, I don't know, power, uh, a little bit, just a little bit, because he posts really good peripherals when it comes to K rate and walk rate, so there's a lot to love there. Now, coming in at number six, this is where I would have had Jazz Chisholm, but I ended up obviously having to bounce him from my list, but this is where I felt comfortable putting Mr. Chisholm. So instead, number six is Brandon Lau. You know, Tampa Bay Rays guy, you got into him a little bit, definitely had a down year last year, but also wasn't healthy. So given the monster year that he had two years ago, put him about five war, a lot to like there and a lot to project going into next year. Coming in at number five for me was a guy, like you said, one of the more underrated hitters in the sport, Jorge Polanco. I was surprised at how well I liked his profile. I wish he was a good defender because if he was, I think he could have found himself higher on this list. But nonetheless, he finds himself at number five. My number four, no different than yours. I got Andres Jimenez. He just had a great year last year. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can replicate that because if he can he will definitely be higher up on this list next year i can guarantee you that put up over six war last year but i think probably for both of us it was just the lack of experience he's had at the major league level and he hasn't done this more than once so there's a lot of that and then at number three a little bit different than you i did have my number three as marcus simeon had a down year offensively last year and i think that hurt him for me mostly but there's a ton to like about this guy just a great great offensive player definitely can find himself at the number one spot even next year there's no doubt in my mind given that that means that yes Jeff McNeil is my number two second baseman coming off of the extension like you mentioned great defender lot to love about Mr. McNeil it was a tough debate for me between him and Simeon but I ended up kind of looking at last year's stats and McNeil had a much better year so I ended up giving the number two spot to him and of course, at number one, by a long shot, this was the easy, easy decision to make. Mr. Jose Altuve. There's just not much he does wrong. Doesn't strike out a lot. Hits the ball really, really well. It wasn't close. It just really wasn't. Last year, just to put it in perspective for Jose, because I know we don't have to discuss him too, too much. Last year, Jose Altuve put up a 164 WRC+, plus, meaning he was 64% above league average as a hitter. There's a reason that he was considered an MVP candidate. So, yeah, if if it weren't for for Mr. Judge over there in the AL and, and Shohei, those two freaks, he would have been up there for sure. So that is my top 10. I know you don't like my number 10. I can guarantee that. And I'm willing to defend him to the end of the earth. So let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I certainly like him. He was a Padre, so props for that. But no, I don't think he's a number 10 second baseman so yeah well we got a double padre battle here at number 10 yeah hmm okay well 
really, I think we can kind of lump nine and ten together. We got four guys for two spots there. Correct. Um, unless, unless we want to kind of combine on somebody who missed both of our lists. But right off the bat, I will say that I like your Horner pick a lot more than I like your Drury pick. I had Horner at 11, well, 12, but then 11 once Chisholm got bounced. And I have Drury at 16. So, you know, I've got the likes of Colton Wong, Ozzy Albies, Chris Taylor, even Brendan Rogers ahead of Drury. So, first of all, tell me why you think Drury is worthy of a long look here at second base. Well, I'll give you two things. I'll give you one why I think Drury deserves a long look, and two, yeah, well, I'll start with why Drury deserves a look. Um, And it's obviously solely off of last year, because last year was a breakout year for Drury, and there was a lot to like about him. If you're talking about just the second basemans we considered here today, last year, Drury was sixth overall in WRC+. He put up 123. He had three war year last year, which puts him ahead of every guy that we've considered here besides Nico Horner. So he had more war than uh, Colton Wong. He had more war than Gleyber Torres. So just given off last year, I like Brandon Drury. Now, the peripherals in terms of K rate and walk rate, I don't know. I I don't love them per se. I think they're about average. I wish he walked a little bit more. But still had an above 800 OPS. He hits the ball harder, hard hit percentage 40% of the time. The BABIP's about league average. There's nothing, nothing there that says he is due to regress. And a little bit of it, too, is when it came down to, to Drury and Torres, because that's essentially who it came down to for me, because like you had Horner at 11, I had Torres at 11. I just think that Drury can do this again, and I really believe it. And it comes down to a little bit of me just believing in Drury to do this again, given more things than just the stats can say, which is he changed the swing. Maybe it's a little bit biased because I got to see it on an everyday basis, but I like it. I like the approach. I just think he's going to be able to repeat it. You might believe it, but the projection systems certainly don't. And I can tell you why. 2021, he walked at a 3.4% clip. 2022, he doubled it basically to 6.7%, which is still terrible. He doesn't strike out too much, you know, about a little over the league average. But when you're just not walking, you're not giving yourself those free bases, your OBP is going to suffer. On top of that, I have him getting lucky, even in 2021, but also in 2022, in the BABIP world, uh, certainly doesn't help. And I think that is why those two things combined, why even though he put up a 123 WRC plus last year, Steamer has him projected for just a 103 next year, because he's just making it harder on himself by not taking walks. He's also a fairly ground ball prone hitter and the profile just doesn't really jump off the page as somebody who's projectable yeah no and and I think that's totally fair and I understand why the projection systems don't love him Um, but I will say too when it comes to Gleiber his walk rate's the same as Drury last year Uh, so it's not like Gleiber jumped off the page actually him and Drury when it comes to walk and hay rate are essentially identical they're off by you know less than a full percentage point on both so I don't know I get why the projection systems don't love him but at the end of the day, they are projection systems, and they're not truth tellers. So for me, I do like Drury. However, I will say this. I am not 100% sold at Drury being number 10. I actually didn't really like too many guys for number 10. I'm not a huge Kleiber guy. I never have been. And while, yes, he definitely improved last year going to second base, he still put up a 761 OPS. It's not like he got close to the 800 range where Drury was at. Uh, the other thing, too, that... You were talking about having Drury solo is 
Hassan Kim for me, I had very, very low as well. I had him at 15. I would love to hear a little bit on your Hassan Kim love there, because trust me, Hassan Kim is one of my favorite players in baseball. He might be second to Manny for me, but I guess I'm just curious what, what you're looking at here that made you like him so much. Well, I certainly love his defense. I already said it ranked third overall. If I'm looking at defense here, he was plus 18 DRS in 2021, plus 408 OAA, and then plus 12 and plus 6 this past year. So really, really, really elite defense. Um, and that's big in second base and up the middle position, as we've said. The offense, yeah, I mean, there's no getting around it. It's not good. It came in 15th out of 19. But it's not terrible either. Like, it's not 15th and way below, you know, 10th. That kind of grouping is in the same ballpark. And so, you know, if I'm looking at his projections from Steamer, he's at 105 WRC+, plus, which is better than Drury, because the system really likes his profile more. He walks at 8.8% clip last year, does not strike out close to the league average, just 17%. And so that just helps a guy, you know, once you're getting on base, you don't have to be all of your ground balls don't have to find holes. All of your fly balls don't have to find gaps. All your line drives don't have to find grass. And so combine that with his speed, which plays a big role on infield hits and is also a lot better than some of these other guys because he really is a shortstop. Most of these guys are, are true second basemen. But if you're looking at Kim, Horner, probably Jimenez, all these guys can have the, the speed for a shortstop and that gives them a bit of an advantage. I don't know. I just, I like the the makeup and the stats back it up too. And the projection systems like him a lot more than Drury, even as a hitter. Not a lot more, but they like him more than Drury, despite him not having a good year last year. Okay. And, and I can buy that. I, I can definitely buy Torres and Kim over Drury to some extent. Though I find it interesting because a lot of your argument for Kim is the same argument I would use for Horner. And Horner has mm-hmm. better stats to back that up. So I'm a little too confused on why you like Horner better than Kim, or excuse me, Kim better than Horner. And I, and I know you use Steamer to project, but if you're looking at the Bat X, which is kind of more what I consider, when you look at the Bat X for projection systems, they have Hassan Kim at a 96 WRC plus next year. For Kim, even though yeah, the defense is going to be eons better than Drury's, and you know that could probably make up that gap in WRC plus difference. I'm not sure what the gap makeup there is for Horner because they have Horner at 100, not much better, but Horner is a really good defensive player too. I definitely like Horner a lot more than I like, I shouldn't say a lot more, but I like Horner more than I like Kim um, in almost every facet of the game and not by a ton, but by a little bit in most places. Well, it was very close between Horner and Kim, first of all. They're, they're very similar. It was a 1-3 and three defensively and 16-15 and 15 offensively so yeah I mean it's not really much to say I think their profiles are extremely similar um, at least in terms of just offense and defense yeah I mean yeah they really are because Horner walks a, a good clip does not strike out very much he did have a pretty ridiculously high BABIP at 360 last year so that's due for some regression or excuse me that was in 2021 anyway yeah I mean it's really just came down to the margins. It was a really close one, and it just my system had Kim just slightly ahead of Horner, liked his profile a little bit better. So, given all of our 
laying everything out there right there. I think it's fair to say that Drury is a no-go, and I, I am okay with that. Given that Horner was your 11, and Torres was my 11, and you know obviously Kim and Drury we had way down on our lists, are you good with finding a spot for Horner and Torres at 9-10? Yeah, I'm not... I don't think Horner is that much. I think he and Kim are on pretty equal footing, so I would be fine bumping Kim in favor of Horner. Okay, um, and, and given that, I think Horner is a more complete overall player offensively and defensively than Torres. I'm good with putting Torres at nine because I do think that the move to second base, he does profile as a more productive offensive guy overall, though the only thing that I like a little bit more about Horner is that he halves Torres's K rate. But obviously that comes with a hard hit percentage that is 12% lower as well. So pick your pick your poison there. But yeah, I can stomach going Gliber 9, keeping them where you have them, if we can just drop Horner to the 10. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Gliber just has more upside. I mean, you saw it in 2019, and I don't know if he'll ever reach that level again, uh, especially without the juiced ball. But the home run power is pretty much unmatched by anyone except Marcus Simeon in this group. So... I think that affords him a little bit of an advantage. I do agree with you there. So, given that, we have Horner at 10, Gliber Torres at 9, and then we came to consensus at number 8 at Cattell Marte. We both had him at 8. Um, we kind of each touched on him a little bit earlier, so we won't spend too much time on him there, but I think 8's a pretty solid spot for a guy who's produced in the past that may not be producing at that same level. So our next little debate here comes at 6-7, and we just have him flip-flopped. Uh, I have Brandon Lau ahead of Brendan Donovan, and you have it the other way around. Go ahead and give me your Donovan over Lau argument here. Okay, so if I'm looking at Brendan Donovan, of course he hasn't played nearly as much as Lau, so that is an automatic point against him. But if I'm looking at his offense last year, 129 WRC+, plus, really, really, really good, to Lau's only 104, which is just very slightly above average. Of course, in 2021, Lau had a monster year, 137, and Donovan obviously didn't even play. But if you're looking at weighing this past year more than 2021, Lau is coming off some injuries. You could say, oh, well, that means he'll be all healed up and you know ready to go next year. But you know, my system doesn't know that. My system just knows that he didn't perform as well last year. And I'm not as well acquainted with Ray's news as I could be. So I don't know um, if Lau had surgery or if he just you know rehabbed this year or what his status is going into 2023 but if I'm just looking at the stats I see that he had a big regression last year he has a good profile not as good as Donovan's when it comes to strikeout and walk rates and also just you know line drive percentage stuff like that so Lau just talking about last year Walked 10.2% of the time, very strong, but Donovan walked 12.8% of the time. Uh, and Lau struck out just a bit over average at 23%. Donovan struck out only 15% of the time. He's walking almost as much as he struck out. So that right there is a really strong profile, and I think that's projectable. Of course, you do run into the issue of he's only done it for 468 plate appearances. I don't know. Do you, the, the real question here is whether you believe Lau will bounce back after his injuries and come back to 2019 or sorry, excuse me, 2021 form. Because if you do, then I think he's pretty clearly ahead of Donovan. Given what you say, what you just said there about, do you believe that Lau will bounce back or not? I can tell you what the bat X says and what the bat X says 
is that yes, Lau's going to bounce back. He's going to have 121 WRC plus next year. And that's not saying anything about Donovan. It's 106 that they project him to have, but that's what they project. So again, I don't weigh that a ton, just given the fact that I think that projection systems have their reasonings, but they're not perfect because they're projections. But I guess the reason that I went with Lau over Donovan is because of that sole reason of two years ago. You know, Donovan last year didn't play a lot, like you mentioned, and given that, does he repeat this? I don't know. I think he allows himself to have a pretty high floor given the walk rate and the K rate, like you were mentioning. Though he's not necessarily squaring up the ball at an elite percentage. He's at 37% hard hit rate. Can you expect that to go up? I mean, in theory, but there's no guarantees. I think with Lau, you just have that track record. Obviously, last year he struggled, but he also struggled with injuries. So can you really fault him for a bad 60-game stretch? I don't know. It's kind of tough for me to say yes to. So I look at Lau as a guy who knows what kind of hitter he is. And two years ago, like you said, his WRC Plus was in the 130s. I like him bouncing back this year. So does the bat X, you know, projection wise. And that's really what it came down to for me is the lack of playing for Donovan. And Lau just has the the record behind just one year where Donovan, you can't say that he's going to be consistent. Uh, you might think he might, but with Lau, he's shown that he can be an elite, elite hitter at times when he gets hot, especially. So for those reasons, I had Lau above Donovan. And honestly, kind of comfortably. I didn't love Donovan's profile in terms of him having a better year than last year, I guess. I just think personally last year might have kind of been where he is about going to reach his ceiling production-wise. I think that's fair. I mean, yeah. I w- it was fairly close for me between Lau and Donovan. And knowing what I know personally that Lau had injuries last year, hopefully he's all good for next year, I would be comfortable putting Lau above Donovan at six. All right, and then at number five, we both have Jorge Polanco, but I just want to touch on him a little bit before we move on to number four, uh, just because I think he's really an underrated player, um, not a name that you think of when you're thinking of top second baseman around the league, unless you're from Minnesota or maybe another AL Central's team. But if you're looking at the last two years, 2021, he's got a 124 WRC plus, and 2022, a 119, you know, right in that range. And you got to keep in mind, yeah, 100 is league average, but for second baseman, it's more like 90 or 95 because second base is such a defensive-minded position. To get that 119, 120, 125 kind of range of WRC plus as a second baseman is even more impressive. And of course, as we move up the list, we talk about the Andres Jimenez's and the Jose Altuve's of the world in the 140, 150, 160 range, then you know, that's even more impressive MVP caliber level. Yeah, just wanted to make a little note about Polanco and uh, why you should pay attention to him a little bit more. So, given that five was an easy one, so was number four for us. We had Andres Jimenez at number four, a guy who, like I mentioned earlier, huge year last year, put up 6.1 war. What an amazing breakout season for the guy, including the Francisco Lindor trade for Cleveland. Obviously, they would love for him to repeat that. Will he? I don't know. He kind of ran a high BABIP last year at 353. The K rate is pretty solid at 20%. The walk rate's pretty low, though, at 6. So you're kind of looking at a regression offensively, but defensively, this guy is a stud, and that always gives him somewhat of a floor, especially as a second baseman. So 
hey, if he can repeat even half of last year, he will find himself comfortably on this list for the next couple years to come, no doubt. So then our last little debate here is going to have to come in at two and three because we both had Altuve at one. We just flip-flopped Jeff McNeil and Marcus Simeon. So I'll give a quick spiel as to why I like McNeil over Simeon, and a lot of it had to do with the production last year. Jeff McNeil had an unbelievable year last year, put up 5.9 more, 143 WRC+. Plus. So much to love about what he did. 10% K rate, 6.8% walk rate, nothing special, but when, when you're not striking out that much, he showed that he can have a, a pretty good WRC plus with that. Uh, second amongst all second basemen last year. The thing that's a little bit scary, of course, is the, the Babbitt, same as Andres Jimenez at 353. So do you expect it to come down? Probably a little bit of regression for McNeil. I don't expect him to repeat last year, but he's a good defender. So that always gives him a floor, like I said, and he's such a good hitter that He'll always have a higher floor than Andres Jimenez, given all the peripherals when you look at McNeil. So that's why it's kind of easy to put McNeil above Jimenez, even though Jimenez had a great year last year. I liked McNeil just given the fact that he produced last year. And it, I think it's fair to say that Simeon didn't produce quite to the level that we expect. Now, he did put up 4.2 war, which is really good, no doubt. That's definitely well above league average. But he only had a 107 WRC+. Plus. Striking out 16% of the time, which is pretty good. Walking 7.3, which isn't great. Doesn't hit the ball overly hard. You know, I would say if he had hit the ball really hard last year for me and shown some unluckiness to an extreme level, then yeah, I could consider him better than McNeil. But it really just came back down to McNeil having such a great year last year. I think the one reason that Simeon has a leg up on McNeil is, like you are mentioning earlier, he has the slug that McNeil doesn't. And that always gives him a much higher ceiling than McNeil can get to. And the fact that their BABIPs were almost a full of almost a full 100 points different last year. Uh, Simeon found himself at 263. For McNeil, 353. I guess what I'm kind of saying is this. I like McNeil better. He was a better player last year. I don't think we're necessarily going to argue that. Who do you like more as a holistic player? It can be tough. I think both guys are elite. I think both guys are a clear two and three. You know, I'm... Not saying I'm easily convinced, but I do like Simeon a lot as well. Yeah, no, you're right that we will not be arguing over who was better last year. It was clearly McNeil. But I do want to draw your attention to his 92 WRC plus in 2021 compared to Simeon's 131. So that is just as big of a gap, if not bigger, than it was this year. And also, yeah, you did mention that his BABIP at 353. I had him as the luckiest player by a comfortable margin, uh, even over Jimenez, simply because he puts the ball in play so much. You mentioned the walk rate is really low. Strikeout rate is really low as well. So that leads to an 86% contact rate. And when you're putting the ball in play that much, hitting ground balls at a 41% clip, your BABIP is really important. And since he ran such a huge, huge, huge one, he got a really big benefit from all those ground balls finding holes because he just put so many balls in play. So I had him for a whopping 71 points of BABIP regression all the way down to 282. I mean, will he come all the way down? No, probably not. I mean, he clearly has great bat to ball skills. Um, he hits a lot of line drives too, which is great for your BABIP. He's at a 24% line drive rate. That's up there with the top guys in this list. But that's probably the uh, the biggest separator here. Because 
you've got somebody who's coming from a down year to a really good year and somebody who was coming from a really good year to kind of a down year, although not as down as making you ahead in 2021. And so whenever you see that big spike, you start to look for the warning signs of, oh, it's you know, kind of a fluky season. And you see that with Chisholm, whereas when you look at Simeon and you see, oh, he came down from his peak, you know, is he regressing or is he just, you know, is he going to bounce back? And you do see the signs that he's probably going to bounce back. You said that he didn't hit the ball that hard, but he really never has. Even in 2021, when he had his monster year, he was only at 41%. The interesting thing is he actually decreased his strikeout rate by like four points um, year over year from 2021 to 2022. I'd be interested to see if he kind of goes back to his 2021 approach, sells out a bit more, really tries to reclaim that power uh, that he had last year I would actually now I'm interested I kind of want to do a deep dive and into Simeon and see what his swing rates and stuff were uh, year by year but I think that he's going to be a little more aggressive next year he's gonna find that power stroke again and reach his 2021 levels again if we're looking at projections here uh, I've got McNeil projected for a 111 WRC plus Simeon at 114 fairly similar there so, yeah, I mean, you know, we could go either way here. I like Simeon because of the track record um, and because of the upside, for sure. You like McNeil because he had a better year last year. Yeah, and I was hoping to an extent that, you know, we would look at the projection systems and it would say, well, you know, Simeon's WRC Plus is in the 120s and, you know, McNeil stays at 111, but unfortunately they're close, which makes it difficult, no doubt. I think this is an interesting and not completely accurate way to put it but mcneil signed his extension last night for roughly 50 ish million right over Mm -hmm. four years simeon got a lot more money than did mcneil by a significant margin and while that's not a fair comparison because of age and everything i don't think at any point in mcneil's career would he get the simeon type of money so no and i would also like to argue that i think simeon if he was as old as mcneil is now would probably be getting more money just because of that power thing. So yeah, I think you've convinced me. And the more I look at the stats, I'm good with putting Semyon ahead of Jeff McNeil at the number two spot. I think another interesting thing too about about the hard hit rate that I mentioned earlier, and you were talking about how Simeon never really hits the ball very hard. Well, do you know who doesn't hit the ball hard at all? Jose Altuve. I mean, my goodness, this guy last year, when he put up his 164 WRC plus, hit the ball hard 29.5% of the time. That is ridiculously low. Like, ridiculous. Like, you're looking at guys like Jordan and Aaron Judge, and of course they're different players than Altuve, that are hitting the ball like 55 to 60% of the time hard. Altuve is almost half of what they're hitting the ball, yet he's producing. And this isn't a fluke last year, because if you're looking at the previous year where he went off, it was only at like 34, 35%. He doesn't hit the ball very hard. Neither does McNeil, but he profiles as that type of guy. But you don't think of Altuve as a guy who doesn't hit the ball hard, yet he doesn't. But the difference between him and McNeil is he just elevates a lot more, and he's hitting the ball over the right. fence. And I think the Crawford boxes, of course, help him to an extent. But Altuve just has that little extra pop that doesn't show up in the hard hit percentage. So just a little tidbit there. But I think it's time to see how our list compares to MLB Network's And to say that we have been disagreeing with them lately would be an understatement. They have had some pretty horrendous lists. 
And I don't feel like too bad saying that because sometimes their opinion is just wrong. And I know opinions (laughs) can't be wrong, but it is. It's just wrong. So let's start at number 10 for MLB Network, The Shredder. And that would be someone who we were okay having at number 10, and that's Glaber Torres. Obviously, we had him coming in at number 9, but Glaber Torres coming in at number 10. Ahead of him, a guy who I'm a little bit shocked comes ahead of him. I'm not a huge fan of him, though I don't think he's crazy far off from missing the list. That is Colton Wong, the Seattle Mariners' new second baseman. Obviously, they're projecting a little bit there. I'm assuming they're projecting a bounce back defensively. Is that kind of what you're thinking, too? Yeah, uh, it was definitely a bit of a surprise to see him rank so low defensively. Uh, I believe he won a gold glove at some point in his career, and he's always just kind of seemed like a good defender. I don't know. I'm not really super familiar. Yeah, okay. If I'm looking back, he was plus five, plus six, plus two earlier on. And then last year, he was minus one, minus nine in DRS and OAA. So that definitely uh, made his defensive metrics take a hit. But of course, as with always with those defensive metrics, they can be a bit fluky. So definitely wouldn't seem uh, out of the question that he could return to top form there next year. Yeah, so like I said, Colton Wong coming in at number nine. At number eight, all three of us again have a consensus. It's going to be Mr. Cattell Marte. Not the first time that we, uh, meaning both you and I, and the Shredder came in a consensus at number 10. We all believe Luis Robert was number eight, the number eight center fielder. So uh, for whatever reason, we like our number eights. At number seven, like we ended up agreeing upon and, and I ended up having on my list, is Brendan Donovan coming in at number seven. I think it's a fair spot. Could bounce up a spot or two, but yeah, it's about a fair spot for Donovan now at this point in his career. At number six, someone that we had at number five, well, that may not seem like a huge gap, definitely feels a little bit low to me, is Jorge Polanco. Uh, and having him one spot behind their number five, Brandon Lau, basically flip-flopped what we had. But I definitely think Polanco is a better player than Lyle. He certainly has had a more consistent last two years, uh, and that's the sample that we're looking for. But again, as with kind of Simeon, Lau has the the upside. We saw it in 2021 and in 2020 in limited action. He's got the pop. Polanco has a bit of pop, but not on the Lau level. That is very true. And so you would think that the upside play would continue in their list, but in fact it does not because at number four comes Marcus Simeon. That is probably the biggest issue I think I have with this list. I definitely don't see him as the number four second baseman right now. Absolutely not. No, that's, uh, I don't have a huge argument for moving him down. Like, I guess you could try to, you know, we argued McNeil versus Simeon, but Jimenez versus Simeon is definitely a stretch. And as you mentioned, Andres Jimenez coming in at the number three spot, meaning number two is Jeff McNeil because no one other than Jose Altuve could be number one for anyone on any list. So, yeah, that's going to be the Shredder's top 10 list. I definitely don't think it's the worst one that we've seen. Definitely not. Yeah, nor is it necessarily the best one, but they all have their their issues. So this one definitely is respectable. And, you know, besides the Simeon and the Colton Wong inclusion there, I don't think this is too, too bad. So to quickly recap Johnny and I's lists in succession here, we had Jose Altuve at number one, Marcus Simeon coming in at number two, then Jeff McNeil, Andres Jimenez. Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lau, Brendan Donovan at number seven, Cattell Marte at eight, Gleyber Torres, and Nico Horner at number 10. I think this was an overall success, Johnny. I like the list that we came up with. Me personally was never sold on my number 10 being Drury. So other than that, you know, I think that 
that we were pretty close and pretty spot on. And I like the consensus list we came up with. Me too. We've been we've been having a, a lot of spats lately, but this one was this one was nice. With that said, I think that'll about do it for our top 10 second baseman right now. Next up is arguably the most exciting list that you're going to get to see, and that is the short stops. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see who comes out on top. I definitely can foresee some some disagreements on that one. Maybe not. You never know. But if there are disagreements, I think it'll be a fun debate because there's a lot of talent there and a lot of guys who are not going to make the list that – are very, very good major league players, unlike some of these other lists where the guys who miss, you know, well, they're, they're players. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. As a Padres fan, my list goes Tatis number one, Bogarts number two, Kim number three, Cronenworth four, Machado five. <laughs> I don't think we're too biased. No. So, all right, but you will have to wait another few days for that one. So, signing off for now with our top 10 second baseman right now. We'll see you next time. Later.